Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to the program, UFO Warning. In this episode, we're talking about the Michigan Dogman. That's correct, the Michigan Dogman. Now, the legend of the Dogman in Michigan has been around for a long time. I think clear back into the 1700s, actually. But it really took on a new life in 1987 when a song was released by a local disc jockey there. It's almost kind of a prank. Now, this article comes to us from creepypasta.fandom.com, and the title is The Legend of Michigan's Dogman. And it talks a little bit about the song that started. And then it says, A very strange thing happened after the poem was aired on radio on April 1st, 1987. It became obvious the story was not going to fade away. The first two times the song was played, there was no viewer reaction or calls. Cook and O'Malley, these were the disc jockeys, were prepared to let the failed prank die when the phone line started lighting up. People were calling in and asking about that weird song. Listeners asked, Who did that song on the Dogman thing? And what are you going to? When are you going to play it again? O'Malley took a call from an elderly man who stated that he was chilled to the bone after hearing the song because he had actually seen a similar creature years before. That was a first of many sighting reports that would pour into the stations over the next few weeks. Scores of people told stories of encounters with a creature that was very much like Cook's fabricated dogman. Within one month month, The Legend of the Dogman became the most requested song on the air and for a short time was added into the regular rotation of the music. I think this kind of just shows that there are lots and lots of people out there who have had sightings and encounters with the paranormal, UFOs, or whatever, but they just don't talk about it. And if somehow um, something happens in pop culture or they hear something on the radio or TV that triggers that memory, then they become willing to talk about their own experience suddenly it kind of brings them it kind of brings them out of the closet so they can talk about this thing and not be embarrassed or ashamed or think that people will make fun of them the article goes on it says other stories began to surface and be compared to the michigan dogman story a century old a mysterious indian legend revealed shocking similarities a french fur trader's diary from 1804 told of an encounter with a loop garou I believe that's French for werewolf. A letter from 1857 described a creature that stood upright like a man, yet bore the countenance of a gray wolf. A real dogman sighting investigated by Lake County Sheriff's Deputy Jeff Chamberlain, who was accompanied by Department of Natural Resources Officer Ron McCartney, was picked up and reported on by Mark Marinetta, a reporter for the Cadillac Evening News. Then other news outlets picked up the story, and it was later fed down the Associated Press Newswire, and thus it was picked up by newspapers all across America. It was even mentioned as a strange coincidence in Paul Harvey's national news and comments broadcast. McCarty called the TV station WTCM, stating that he and Chamberlain had openly joked about how this sighting would fit in with the seventh-year prophecy made in the song. McCarthy's voice would later appear in the beginning of the 10th anniversary version of the song, The Legend 97. 
Suddenly, the legend soared into the national prominence and became a hit song once again, only this time on a much larger scale. Requests for copies came in from all 50 states and around the world. You know, I think part of this is just fun and games, but I think part of this is people connect with the notion of paranormal encounters because so many people have had uh, these encounters, whether uh, it's a ghost sighting or whether it's a UFO sighting. Most of us, I think, understand that there's more to this world than what we see. There's something beyond it, some dimension beyond it. Eventually, the master tape, never considered to be a real value, had been destroyed. Steve Cook went into the studio again, this time with an upgraded keyboard, and recorded the song a second time. A few changes were made to the lyrics to update the legend for summer. When it was finished, the second master recording was shipped to Southfield, Michigan for mass production. The first 500 copies arrived a week later and sold out in 12 days. The legend had quickly become hot property with record stores and radio stations across the country calling the station requesting copies. A large record company offered to record and promote the song, and Steve Cook faced the difficult decision of whether to release the legend on a national scale or to keep it local and manageable. Steve chose to keep it local. The music and lyrics were copyrighted by Mindstage Productions, Cook's marketing and advertising team. Well, it's too bad they didn't release this on the Internet. And then it goes on and talks about the song for a little bit, and they come down a little bit further. They talk about a film that was made, and then they go through some encounters, which I find interesting. This encounter happened in Big Rapids, 1961. It says, when I was a boy, my father was the night watchman at a manufacturing plant located in a rural area between Big Rapids and Chippewa Lake, Michigan. Our house, if I remember right, was a perk of the night watchman job was across the street from the factory. The plant building was right next to a large wilderness area of state land. At that time, I was it was simply known as Haymarsh, but now it is officially called the Haymarsh State Game Area. For, the, for those of you who uh, live in Michigan, I've, I've been there uh, many times, it's amazing uh, how much uh, timber forest you have up there. I mean, you can literally just be off the highway in no time and be, you know, in hundreds if not thousands of acres of of a deeply, deeply wooded uh, forest area, and it's really uh, probably the closest thing we have to wilderness in the lower 48. It, it's pretty cool, actually. It says, one night in the summer of 1961, Dad walked into the house to sit on the porch and have a cup of coffee and a sweet roll. He had a good view of the entire plant property. He saw some movement near a chain-link fence behind the building. This was approximately 3 a.m., so he felt quite sure this person wasn't there by accident. He drew his gun and watched for a few minutes. That's when he noticed this was not a person at all, but something much taller. He said it appeared to be covered in brown-gray hair. It had very broad shoulders and a powerful chest. It alternated between walking on, on four legs then standing up on two. He said it seemed to be looking for something along the driveway. He said later he couldn't quite believe what he was seeing. He quietly moved into the house and grabbed his Kodak Signet 35mm camera, which was his pride and joy. At this point, I should mention that my dad was quite a photography buff. His father had owned one of the first camera stores in Ohio, and Dad got the shutter bug from Grandpa. As he stepped back on the front porch, the creature moved slowly along the highway, directly under the lights. He adjusted the camera shutter for a long exposure, held it as long as he could. He said he was shaking pretty bad by then and snapped a picture. Goes on and says, I've enclosed a picture of it in this letter. Dad said a few seconds later, the thing dropped back down to all fours and slowly moved off into the woods to the left of the picture. 
He sent a print to the local newspaper and sent copies to several magazines. One that I think was called Mysterious published the photo in the spring issue of 1962. Dad had a copy of the magazine for years, but it was misplaced after he passed away. I still have the negative strip that contains this image if you would like to have someone examine it. I also still have Dad's Kodak Signet. I haven't shot any pictures with it for several years, but I'm pretty sure it still works. Now, I will say there are, more, there are multiple uh, pictures online, um, and you can look them up quite easily. And you, on the website here, your creepypasta.fandom, they have a, they have a uh, image of this picture they're talking about. It, it does look like some sort of dog man uh, at night under the street light there. Uh, so the thing has been photographed, probably more than, say, like a Bigfoot has. And I think that's just because this dog man seems to want to interact with people a lot more. It seems like it's spotted in and around uh, human habitation a lot more often than, say, a Bigfoot entity is. Also, I'd point out the part about walking on two legs and four legs. This reminds me a lot of the uh, skinwalker stories where you often hear about these skinwalkers walking on two legs and then four and back and forth. It's almost like they're interchangeable between human and animal, which would make sense if these entities had been humans at one time and then transitioned into sort of this, you know, third dimensional, fourth dimensional, whatever, uh, entity of the skinwalker or the dog man or Bigfoot or whatever. And this is from Sparta in 1987. It says, one weekend back in the fall of 1987, my two best friends and I were staying at my family's cabin, which is not far from the small town of Sparta, about 20 minutes north of Grand Rapids. My two friends left to have dinner while I stayed behind at the cabin. Following the dinner, the men headed back towards Sparta and the cabin. What happened next would shock and disturb them for years. It was dark and they were on a rural road. Suddenly, both of them saw something standing by the side of the road and the headlights of a car. It appeared to be a human-like figure covered in gray fur. As they got closer and passed by the figure, both of them got a very good look at it. It was the size of a man, stood on two legs. It was covered head to toe in gray fur and had a wolf-like face. It even raised its hands and seemed to snarl at them as they drove by. They said it looked like a werewolf, <clears throat> it looked like a werewolf out of a Hollywood movie. My two friends didn't dare stop. They continued driving, and of course they were preparing each other they were peppering each other with questions. Did you see that too? Was that a dog? Was that someone dressed up in a costume? And so on. As they are having this animated conversation, they pass by the sign that says, Welcome to Sparta, and drove through the small main street and continued on out of town in the direction of my cabin. Their conversation about what happened, their conversation about what had just happened continued when both of them looked up to see that the same Welcome to Sparta sign again, followed by the same main street they had just driven through, only moments ago, they hadn't stopped or turned around. They had been traveling in the same direction on the same road, but somehow, without any noticeable interruption of their journey, they had somehow been sent backwards several miles. Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture, and China and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. Now, this is strange. This, this is so uh, reminiscent of these, of these situations where people uh, have a UFO encounter and there seems to be some sort of time travel involved. 
It's almost as if they're as if these folks are caught in some sort of time loop. It's another thing that points to these entities as being interdimensional. These guys are just, they're driving along on their journey, and boom, at the same time they sight this dog man. It's as if they get caught in this vortex of time where they're repeating this journey. Unfortunately, they were able to escape it. Until this point, it would be easy to dismiss the event as someone playing a joke. However, the time displacement characteristic is what set this encounter apart. While such things are well documented in UFO and alien abduction stories, it's something we've not seen before in Dogman sighting reports, Andy continues. Quote, I remember when they finally showed up at, the, at my cabin, they arrived no later than what I expected them to, around 9 p.m. or so, and I remember how animated they were about their strange encounter, but I just assumed they had seen a large dog and were telling me an embellished story in order to get a laugh. But 20 years later, both of them still insist that this was no joke. I don't imagine it would be. Quote, I have no idea what to make of the story. Maybe it was just some teenager in a wolf costume playing pranks. And did my friends really experience lost time afterwards, or did they just make some wrong turns on the drive and didn't notice because they were talking and distracted? Well, speaking of some teenager in a costume, I would put that in the same category as the satanic cow tippers who are responsible for thousands upon thousands of cattle mutilation. Not likely. Uh, you have to really, when you judge these events, you have to consider the thing that is most likely the cause. And the notion that some teenagers out there running around in a wolf suit, that seems like that would take an awful lot of effort for a young person or any person to, to go through to play this kind of a prank on someone. Not to say that it's not possible, but it does not seem to be likely. He says, I have no idea, but I would love to know if anyone else has seen similar things in Sparta. And we have another one here from Reed City, 1993. The area around Reed City, Michigan has been a hotbed of dogman activity. This report details an event that occurred nearly 20 years ago, but the witness remembers it like it was yesterday, and it is unshakable in her story. And it's unshakable in her story. Her name is Courtney, and her encounter took place during the winter of 1993-94. Courtney was a teenager at the time and was sneaking cigarettes behind her parents' home near Todd Lake, northeast of Reed City. The sun was setting on a clear and cold winter day. Courtney was facing a large abandoned barn on the property next door. The barn had always kind of spooked me. It was filled with rusty old equipment. The outer planks were all rotten and it sagged and leaned in every direction. My dad said to stay away as the whole thing could collapse. On that evening, I was standing about 50 feet from the barn, and I saw sunlight coming through the gaps in the siding. Courtney took her eyes off the barn for a few minutes, and something caught her attention again. There was some movement. The light flickered, but I couldn't really tell what it was. Then it turned its head back and looked straight at me. It was at least six feet tall, if not more. It was dark colored. It had a dog-like appearance, pointy nose, and really big pointy ears. Courtney dashed into her house to grab a flashlight. When she returned outside, she shined it toward the barn door, but the animal was no longer there. She walked closer to the barn to look for tracks in the heavy snow. When she didn't see any, she realized the creature might still be inside and ran back to the safety of the house. She never saw the creature again. She later talked to a neighbor who had seen something the size of a buffalo but the shape of a dog. In the same barn a few months before Courtney's encounter, the neighbor said she had been so frightened she was near hysterics for days. Her father had taken his gun and searched the barn, but found nothing there. At the time of these events, neither of the girls had heard of 
the legend song and did not know about the Michigan Dogman legend until years later. Now, this is from 1994, Waters Meet. We're about done. The report comes to us from an anonymous contributor who grew up in Sheboygan County but spent many summers camping on family property in Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Now, I've been to the Upper Peninsula many times, and I can tell you this is really a heavily forested area, beautiful country. This encounter took place in the area of Waters Mint, home of the famous Paulding Lights phenomenon. Oddly enough, the Paulding Lights were also known as the Dog Meadow Lights. That's interesting. Quote, I was 13, had just gotten new rollerblades for Christmas, and since the main road where our property sits is paved, I couldn't wait to ride around. I went blading by myself and stopped to rest for a second. On this road, the woods are so thick, there's not much space between the road and the woods in most parts, and I remember seeing trees pushed down on the road that my dad said was done by bears. He was an avid bear hunter. Remember not having any of your of your normal sounds of nature, not even birds. The air was still, and the sky would be pure dark and not too long. I was deciding to turn back when I heard a rustling behind me and something emerged from the left of the road. I assumed it was a deer, paused and made myself as quiet as I could so I could watch it, and slumped down on my stomach in the middle of the road. It was about 600 feet ahead of me. Now, I noticed she says it was quiet just before the sighting of this thing. This is something that we frequently hear with Bigfoot sightings, is that all the small creatures, the birds quit singing, uh, there's no movement in the trees, just total quiet. They're definitely sensing something. Quote, when I got myself settled in the road to watch it and looked up, I realized what I was looking at wasn't a deer. It was on all fours with a gray brown fur. At first, I feared the worst, thinking a bear had caught my scent until I saw its outline and color. I thought I was looking at a dog until I realized the face was too primitive, like a fox or a coyote. At this point in my life, I had never seen a wolf in real life, and it was too far for me to make out the face exactly. The Michigan Department of Natural Resources has always recognized that wild wolves still roamed in the Upper Peninsula, although they were thought to be in very limited numbers and only in extremely remote areas. It is conceivable this witness was seeing one of these wolves, but then something very strange happened. It extended its front legs and in the slowest, longest seconds of my life, stood up on its hind legs, sniffed the air, walked for about five steps, then got back down on all fours, and walked to the other side of the woods, then disappeared. Now that's something that we could see a black bear doing, but that's not something that I would that you would see a wolf doing. And she describes that this was not a bear, that it was in the shape of, of a dog or a wolf. She says, I don't remember how long I laid in the middle of the road staring in, staring in the empty space. I saw this thing stand like a human. I remember my jaw hanging down as long as it could, as low as it could, and a pool of drool on the cement under it. I finally clicked, in, it finally clicked in my mind that perhaps I should rollerblade my butt back to camp as quickly as I could. The witness reports that <clears throat> that while seeing the creature, the witness reports that while the creature never stalked or pursued her, she slept very little during the rest of the family camping trip. She told she never told anyone about what she had seen, fearing she would be ridiculed. At the time of the sighting, she had never heard of the legend song and would not until 2004. She moved to Southern California in 2008 and has no interest. And camping again. Now, I want to go ahead and read one last one, then we'll be done. This is from Alpina, 2001. It says, My dad and I have a story to tell about our encounter with the dog man. My dad's story took place in the mid-70s. There is a cemetery behind the Alpina High School and a wooded area behind that. There are many trails that run through here. In this area, 
is a place called the Sandies, where all the young kids would go and party. My dad and two of his buddies were in a canoe in broad daylight, paddling from the Sandies around the back of the cemetery. The banks of the river are 10 to 12 feet high in places, and some trails run right to the edge. The three of them saw what looked to be a big dog running behind them on the trail, and they didn't pay much attention to it until they heard a splash. When they looked, it was swimming after them. Then it went from a dog paddle to the chest and front legs coming out of the water and wading after them. They decided right then not to wait around to see what it was. Honestly, I thought it was BS at the time, and I'm still not sure, even to this day, if it was something they had been smoking or drinking. Now, this is classic reaction to people when they are when they are relayed paranormal or UFO reports. It's so strange and so out of the ordinary that oftentimes they just have to believe that the witness has been compromised somehow. He says, then around 2001, 2002, I was leading some friends through the Sandy's trails. I used to like taking people out there without a flashlight and tell them my dad's story to freak them out. The girls were freaked out before we even got into the woods, so I decided not to scare them that night. In the river are small in the river are small several islands connected by a small sliver of land. At that time there were three such islands chained together and I took them to the last one which was planted with pines in nice even rows. I was the first one back there about 30 seconds ahead when one of the girls got her foot hung up on something. As I was going back to help her, there was a spot where the trees make a sort of roof effect, which is really cool, looking at night with the moon shining through. At that point, I saw something. I'm not sure what it was, but it sent me running double time. When my buddy saw my face, he didn't say a word. He just followed both of us, dragging the girls behind. When he asked me later why I came out in such a hurry, I told him it was because I thought I had seen something at the other end of the island walking through the trees that was very tall and not likely human. He may not have believed me, but he never questioned it either. I'm still not sure what I saw. It could easily have been that I scared myself with my dad's story and was seeing something, but I know this. I still don't, take, I still don't like the dark, and even though I love hunting, I hate going out before the sun comes up during deer season. And there's several more stories on here. Really an interesting website, but you know, the Michigan Dogman is a legend that's been around for a while. And as you can see, many, many people have had encounters of this creature, this entity that they describe as the Michigan Dog Man. Until next time, this is UFO Warning. Over and out. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease.